Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, questions about theology and life and how the Bible applies to situations that are going on in the world today. If you have a prayer request, I would love to pray for you along with all those who are tuning in and listening with us, um, able to say yes and amen and agree in prayer together uh, in our cars, in, at our desks, in our offices, wherever you're tuning in from today. There's a whole community of people tuning in, not just in the United States, but even internationally as well. It's a great uh, thing to see how God has been building the listening family of Calvary Live. And so Wherever you're tuning in from, I, I want to welcome you. I'm glad that you're here. Let me give you the numbers to call and text with your questions about the Bible, questions about life from a biblical perspective, and your prayer requests. Let's go ahead and uh, give you those numbers. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the call in number 303-690-3000. The text line 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening over the air here in Colorado and into southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us today. You're hearing the show live. Today is January 29th. It's a Friday. We also want to greet those who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to those of you on Hope FM. We also want to welcome those on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program for those of you tuning in over there as well. We want to remind you that those of you listening on the East Coast in the area around Tennessee, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in, and we'd love to answer your questions and pray for your prayer requests. And then those of you uh, in that situation there on the East Coast and in Tennessee, you guys have a unique opportunity that our live listeners don't have. And, uh, and so we want you to be part of the, part of the show and, and view that as a special opportunity. And what the opportunity is that you have is that you're going to call in we're going to answer your questions, pray for your prayer requests on the air. And then that when the show airs in your local area a week later, you're going to be able to tell a friend, tell a family member that um, you are on the radio and that you're, it's going to be aired at this time. And that'll be a way that you can wisely and, and gently and in a very friendly way invite somebody to listen to the program. And who knows what, what God might do with that in their life. God might take that and he might uh, use it in their life to get them listening to that station. Maybe it becomes a preset. Maybe they start tuning into this show and other Bible teaching. And then um, who knows what God might do in their life. So that's, that's exciting and that's really good stuff. And we, ex we encourage you, even if you're listening live today, to be spreading the word about Grace FM and about Calvary Live because God's doing great things through Christian radio. We encourage you to support your local Christian radio station, whether that's 
Grace FM here in Colorado or whether it is uh, Hope FM in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, Maryland, if it's Truth FM in Tennessee, support them because the work they're doing is really good. So just a few words about myself before we get to our callers. And that is, uh, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I am, uh, I have been pastoring here now for eight years. Prior to that, I was a missionary in Hungary, working also with Calvary Chapel at that time, um, and planted some churches out there. And then I've been pastoring here in Longmont for eight years. Our church, Whitefields, is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this city. And so if you are near to Longmont, I'd love to personally invite you to join us for service sometime at our church. Our church is meeting both in person and online right now. So if you're in driving distance of Longmont, we'd love to have you come out for a Sunday morning. We have three services every Sunday. Those are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. So every Sunday, 8, 9.30, and 11, we have a full children's ministry now open at our 9.30 service. The other two services are family services, and that earliest service is kind of our COVID-friendly. I I like to think that all of our services are COVID-friendly because we do do social distancing and and masks and all that, but um, the 8 a.m. service, we call it our COVID extra-friendly service. So uh, if that is something that uh, you're looking for, join us at 8 a.m. Our other services, again, also safe and welcoming those are at 9.30 with Children's Ministry and 11 a.m. for you late risers who, who prefer those late services. Um, so we'd love to have you. Again, I'm the pastor of the, the church here. We're currently studying through the book of Second Kings, which may not sound uh, all that exciting. You know, I don't know a lot of churches that study Second Kings on a Sunday morning. But I got to tell you, as we've been studying through Second Kings, it has just been so rich and so applicable, so surprisingly applicable. And so it's it's been uh, very good. Uh, we've really enjoyed studying through Second Kings. We're coming up to the end of it. This Sunday, we, we've got a really great section as we study you know, chapter by chapter through these books. We're looking at a time in Israel's history when they were very wealthy. It was during the reign of Jeroboam II. They were very wealthy, but this is also the time when Jonah the prophet was sent to Nineveh. This is the time when Amos preached in the northern kingdom of Israel. This is the time when Hosea called the people to give their hearts back to God. And so looking at that setting in which God spoke to them is really, really interesting. Um, So yeah, we'd love to have you come visit us. Just our address here in Longmont is 2950 Colorful Avenue. It's 2950 Colorful Avenue here in Longmont, Colorado. And our zip code is 80504. And what that tells you is that we are east of of the city center. And so we're, we're just east of County Line Road. And we are right in between uh, County Line Road and I-25. So as you're coming off of I-25, heading into the center of Longmont, you're right on Highway 119, the road that leads into Boulder. Um, we are right there on Highway 119. And just on the north side, if you know where Sandstone Ranch Community Park is, that's where the big... Uh, soccer complex and skate park is located we're directly across the highway on the north side of the highway and that park there is on the south side so uh, we'd love to have you visit us and, and come to worship in person 8 a.m 9 30 and 11 and if you're not within driving distance of longmont we'd love it if you join us online you can watch our services live every sunday at 9 30 and 11 and those are at um those are 
available on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. You can go there to get the link to go watch on YouTube or on Facebook Live. So whitefieldschurch.com is the place for that. You can also hear us every weekday. We have a daily radio show that airs twice a day here on Grace FM here in Colorado. And those are at um, 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. So we're on both at 9.30 and 2.30 Mountain Time every weekday. And we're on on Sunday mornings at 1 p.m. If you are in your car at that time, definitely turn on the radio and listen to us. And uh, for those of you who are not within our listening range, we invite you to tune in um, by listening on the Grace FM app. If you don't have that app yet, it would be a good time to go get it. It's totally free. Just type in Grace FM in your um, in the search bar for your App Store or Google Play Store, and it'll come right up, and it is free, and you can uh, download the app, put it on your device, and you'll be able to uh, tune in there and listen to this show and all the other uh, great programs here on Grace FM. Let me give you those numbers to call again. We, me- we, have the, um, we have all open lines right now, so it's a great time to call in and call in with your Bible questions, call in with your prayer requests, I'm standing by just ready to answer those and hopefully bring clarity to some areas of the Bible uh, where you've been needing that. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the call-in line or for the text line. And the call-in line is 303 690 3,000. As we're waiting for some of those calls to come in, let's go over to our text line. And uh, we have one person texted in, and they say, uh, please keep our family in prayer. We have experienced a death due to suicide in the family. Um, family is, some. they have some believers in our family. We have others who are not believers. Um, but pray that the Lord would intervene and help in this dark time. Absolutely, let's do that. Heavenly Father, we lift up this dear family to you, and we just we just know that they're hurting, all of them. We know that the believers are hurting, and those who are not believers are, are both hurting. And so, Lord, we pray for this family that you bring them comfort, that you'd bring the light of your presence into the darkness that they're experiencing right now because of this death uh, by suicide. Lord, we ask that you'd bring uh, comfort in this time when they, they might have a lot of questions which are unanswered. You know, a lot of questions come in like what if and, and all of those sorts of things. So we pray that you would just hold this family tight in your arms during this time. See them through this, Lord. Help them carry them through this, we ask, by your strength. And Lord, we pray for those in the family who who do not know you, who do not have the hope of eternal life. Lord, we pray that this would be something you use, even something as sad and tragic as this. Lord, would you use it for good and for their eternal uh, benefit. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so t- to the person who wrote this in, I hope you're listening and I hope that you know that uh, a lot of people out there praying for you. We love you and you have a family in Christ who's who's here to lift you up and uh, we're very sorry for your loss. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to, uh, let me give you the numbers to call one more time and then we'll just continue going through some of these text messages that have come in. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. 
So one person says this, if you're new to studying God's word, I read the King James Version, not the new King James Version. What is the best to use concordance or commentary? What is the best to get that explains each verse of the Bible and the meaning of that verse? You know, there are a lot of very good commentaries out there, and I will tell you that um, commentaries, of course, vary by, um, by their scope, right? So you've got commentaries that kind of give you a big picture. You've got commentaries that go really in-depth on every verse of the Bible. Let me give you a few that I recommend because, like I said, um, I'm not sure that any one commentary is going to be able to do that unless you get like a huge series of, of commentaries. I know that there is one series of commentaries. If you're looking to go really, um, really in-depth, there is the New International Bible Commentary, and that's not to be confused with the New International Version of the Bible, uh, but the New International Bible Commentary, that's pretty much as in-depth as you can get. There's another one called the World Bible Commentary, which is also very good, uh, also very in-depth. If you're looking for something that's more just like um, helps you really get your bearing on the Bible, I really recommend a book called Haley's Bible Commentary. That's Haley's with two L's, by the way. So H-A-L-L-E-Y. Uh, sometimes people call it Halley's Bible Commentary. I believe it's properly pronounced Haley's Bible Commentary. Uh, another commentary I like is one called the Believer's Bible Commentary. That is a one-volume Bible commentary um, by William MacDonald, which is very good. I enjoy that. Um, let's see, what are some other? There's, a, there's also several series um, that I really like. One of my favorite series is one that came out, I believe it came out in the 90s, but it, it's still very relevant, and it is uh, called The Bible Speaks Today. And some really great authors in there, some of my personal favorite commentators, uh, Edmund Clowney is, is a contributor to that. He's passed away already, but he, his work is involved in that. And let's see, who else? John Stott, of course, is involved in that. and I, It's one of my favorites. I get so much... Uh, from the Lord through John Stott. So again, that's the Bible Speaks Today commentary series. And uh, and then there is a newer commentary series that I've also really enjoyed, which is called the For You commentary series. And so there's there's like First Peter for you, Galatians for you, Judges for you. They don't have all the books of the Bible yet. They're still compiling those. But the For You Bible series, or For You commentary series is really good. So those would be my top recommendations, kind of going from, you know, every single verse being dealt with to really dealing with um, the bigger picture, kind of, you know, zooming out type of thing, going less in depth. So, um, but yeah, there's a ton of good stuff out there. Now, you, you made a comment there about King James only. I think that is a different conversation, but one that we can return to. If we uh, don't have any callers later on, I doubt that will happen. But if anybody else does want to talk about King James only, I would love to talk about it. I have a lot of thoughts on it. I've written about it and studied about it in seminary. So I might be able to give you guys some, some good insight into the King James only discussion. Uh, so we can talk about that as we go on. So I'm just going to save this text message. I won't delete it just yet. Um, but I hope that answers your question as far as Bible commentaries. Now you asked about concordances. The gold standard for concordances, of course, is still Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance will give you um, definitions, you know, of every Greek and Hebrew word that is used in the Bible, as well as where those words are found. 
Now, before you run out and buy a concordance like that online, or sorry, yeah, like from Amazon or something like that, I would tell you that the Strong's Concordance is uh, public domain. It's available online and in so many apps uh, for your phone. So unless you want to have a copy, and they're not very expensive, by the way. They cost like $20 to have that giant book, which is very useful. Um, yeah, Strong's Concordance of the Bible. It's, I think it's even called the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which, which is a very accurate name. And um, yeah, you can get that. There's a great online resource where you can get that and a few commentaries as well called the Blue Letter Bible. So if you haven't been using the Blue Letter Bible, now's the time. And I'll tell you what, uh, for you who prefers the King James Version and not the New King James Version, you'll love Blue Letter Bible because Strong's Concordance is based off of the Old King James Version or the original King James Version. And so you can um, enjoy your King James Version while you use Strong's Concordance on the Blue Letter Bible. Okay, so let's go to our next caller, Joseph in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for taking my call, Pastor. Um, so, yes, um, I asked about uh, uh, John chapter 14, verse 13, I guess, verse, verse 14. But before that, um, uh, just a prayer for um, one of my former co-workers. Her name is Monica. Um, her daughter, Alondra, uh, was in a accident in the past, uh, past August, and um, she's now in physical therapy, so I pray that her daughter, you know, recovers fully by God's grace. Amen, I agree. So, Joseph, what is your prayer request again, or your question again, was John 14, 13 and 14, and I take it that's yes. a question about what it means to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, I apologize, no. So it's two separate things, so it's one, the prayer, and it's totally separate from the Bible verse, so praying from the co-worker and her daughter, yes. former co-worker and daughter, and then the Bible verse. Basically, I want to ask about the Bible verse. Is that only referring to, like, us living now on this earth, or would it also apply to when we get to the new heaven, new earth, that mm. Bible verse? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I guess I guess it would apply in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, I'm just reading between the lines here, as, as you are as well, right? We're just trying to put, put together the pieces of the puzzle because it doesn't exactly say that. But here's why I, I think so. Because I believe that, as, um, as of course, many you know, Bible scholars and, and things would agree, that uh, the new heavens and the new earth, what we call heaven, um, will be much more tangible than it is ethereal, right? It's not going to be us floating around on clouds, playing harps, wearing diapers, looking like angels. It's going to be us um, in, a, in a tangible world where we have work to do, where, you know, thing, and yet we worship God and we're, we're living basically in Eden restored and fulfilled. That's the, you know, one of the cool things. It's not just Eden restored. It's actually Eden restored and fulfilled. Eden was a garden. The new heavens and the new earth will be a, a city. And so it's cool to see that aspect. But um, so to that point, you ask, um, you know, does this promise, which says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Is that true in the new heavens and the new earth? I guess my answer would be to say I, I assume and I believe that it is because I think that there will still be a need for walking with God and dependence on God in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's perfection there, so we wouldn't be in need of anything. I mean, there's food, but we really won't need it. I mean, so it's perfection there. Correct. So it won't be, let's say, we need things. That, now, that's a whole different discussion as to whether or not there will be food, 
because you could make a great argument that would say, you know, one of the things we'll have new bodies and I don't know what those new bodies will be like, but I'm, I wouldn't preclude the, the ability to eat food because eating food, you know, can be such a pleasurable and joyful thing, which is what I mean by saying that the new heavens, the new earth will be much more tangible than it is ethereal. We'll have bodies you know, we'll be able to hug people and feel people, not just, um, you know, we won't just be goats, ghosts uh, flying, floating around. So it's possible. I don't know what the new bodies will be like. Uh, it's possible that we will still, you know, eat food. I, I would say, let's, let's forget the food thing. And let's just say this, that if there is work to do, because I do believe that if you look at Eden, there was work to do and they were doing work with God. They, they weren't, uh, you know, it wasn't that they only sought God when they needed him, but they, they sought God because they were given a job by God to do with God. So it's this idea of partnership and, and fulfilling a purpose with God. So uh, Randy Alcorn has a super good book on heaven. Its uh, title is a very clever title. It's called Heaven. And uh, he he goes into this whole thing from a biblical perspective, just a biblical, you know, study of showing how heaven will be much more of a tangible place than an ethereal place. Okay, and that last name is A-L-C-O-R-N, Randy Alcorn? That's correct, Randy Alcorn. Great book called Heaven. I recommend it to everybody. Okay, thank you. And, you know, also please pray for my former co-worker, Monica, and our daughter, um, Alondra, that just pray that she recovers fully from her ATV accident, because it really messed up her body you know okay well let's pray for that right now heavenly father we pray for alondra lord and we just ask for for her mom monica lord we pray for her that as she's been in this accident uh lord that you'd heal her body and the the parts of her body that have been hurt damaged uh, broken lord we pray for healing for that we pray for a complete and full recovery and restoration we pray that you give the doctors wisdom with how they treat with what they prescribe and lord that you would do the work of you know, using those doctors, using those medicines, that you would do the work of making her well and whole again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You have a blessed week. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got one open line. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to Susie in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Susie. Welcome to the Hi. program. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Great. What can I do for you? So, um, last night I was talking with a friend, and um, you know, I tell we were talking about God, of course, and I tell her, you know, about the rapture, and she's like, I really don't, you know, she's a Christian, but she doesn't believe in the rapture happening. Mm-hmm. So, um. She brought up Second uh, Thessalonians two, three, kind of uh, midway of that, where it says the rebellion occurs, and let me see. Wait, hold on. Oh, on three it says, uh, "Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come." So she believes that the rapture won't happen because the Antichrist has to come before that. But I told her, "No, I think we're going to be raptured up." And like three and a half years of us being in heaven with Christ, then the Antichrist will appear here, 
flight, and then he's going to start doing whatever he does. And so three and a half years later, that's when Christ and the church will come back, right? Right. So there, there's three views on this, you know, on when exactly the rapture would take place. They're called the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. And so, um, you know, the idea here is this. It's, it's really a question of how long the tribulation lasts and what takes place during that tribulation period. And that would be, um, you know, it's pretty clear that seven years. And so what, what you're saying is, is also the view that I would agree with, which is that the first three and a half years of that tribulation are actually a time of peace. But the question is, when does the rapture take place? Does the rapture take place at the beginning of the seven years before the actual judgment starts to come? Does it take place at the three and a half year mark where we see that the judgment, the, the man of lawlessness is revealed, in other words, the Antichrist, and then um, and then we are taken up before things get heavy and the judgment begins to come? And then there's another view that, you know, that say it happens after the Great Tribulation, um, but that would be, again, more of a minority viewpoint. The two main viewpoints are that uh, pre and mid, and so, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's that important for that verse to determine one of those positions, as far as does it happen before the three and a half years of peace, which comes before the three and a half years of, you know, terrible, uh, you know, what's called the great tribulation, the terrible time of trouble. Um, I'm not sure that that really matters. I think here's the point. Here's here's really the the point of this text in Second Thessalonians. It's actually in both First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Paul is writing to those people for a reason. And the reason he's writing to them is because they had been led to believe by somebody who had come into their church or maybe even somebody from within their church. Somebody had come around and said, hey, don't you know that Jesus already returned? And so they, they write to Paul and they're like, hey, Paul, so Jesus already returned and we missed it. You know, because, I mean, remember in those times, you know, communication was slow. They didn't have TV. They didn't have Internet. And so somebody comes from out of town, let's say, or somebody within the church has a strange interpretation that says, we, you know, Jesus already came and we missed it. So they write this letter to Paul and they say, hey, we're bummed out because we missed uh, the return of Jesus. You know, what, what's going to happen to us now? Now we can't go to heaven and stuff like that. And Paul writes back in the first letter to say, no, 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 no. listen. When Jesus comes back, here's what's going to happen. Actually, per, actually, in the first letter, the, the bigger issue was they were worried because some people had died. And, and they were worried, well, what happens if these people die before Jesus returns or if Jesus has returned? What's going to happen to these people who have passed away? And Paul says, don't worry about it. Those people are going to be raised uh, from the grave when Jesus returns. And he says, every eye will see him, as Jesus had said. You're going to hear the sound of a trumpet. Trust me, you're not going to miss the return of Jesus. Then they're still worried in the second Thessalonians. He's responding to, you know, they write back and say, okay, cool, thanks, Paul. Hey, but we're still worried that we might have missed it because this person said this thing. So Paul writes them again and says here in chapter two, he says, here's how you know that it won't happen. Because before Jesus returns, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The, the person, here's what he will do. And he, he goes on to list the things that he will do there in chapter two. And the point of this whole thing is just to say, uh, whether it is, you know, at the three and a half year mark, whether it's at the seven year mark, um, is kind of not the point. The point is, 
that the man of lawlessness will return. And the proof that we know that Jesus has not yet returned is that the man of lawlessness has not yet been revealed. Now, I want to answer something else that might have come up, which is you say your friend doesn't believe in the rapture. Well, I could give you some um, maybe some talking points to discuss with her about why Christians believe in the rapture, because it's not actually just because of First Thessalonians chapter four. But right now I have to put you on hold because we're going to our two minute break for the okay. mid shows. So if you're willing to hang on, I would love to talk through some of those points right after the break. Yes. Okay, thanks so much. Hey, we'll be right back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. I believe we've got two open lines, so give us a call, and we'll get you on after the break, after we finish our call with Susie. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We have two open lines right now, and let's go right now back to the caller we were talking to right before the break, which is Susie. Hi, Susie. Welcome back. Hi, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I told you, um, I would talk to you about on this part of the break after the break was uh, some arguments for why Christians believe in the rapture. And you know, uh-huh. so I think that a lot of people just assume that this is based only on one verse, and that verse being found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Some people would say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible, which mm-hmm. is only true depending on what language you're reading the Bible in, because the word rapture comes from the Latin word raptizo, which mm-hmm. means rapture. It just means caught up, right? Just caught yeah. up in all of a sudden. So it just... It depends on what language you're reading it in. Is the word rapture in the Bible? Uh, well, if you're reading it in Latin, it is. If you are reading it in English, it's the word caught up. And mm-hmm. it just says that we will be caught up to be with the Lord. Let me just give you a few reasons why we believe this. Um, there is a pattern throughout the Bible going through the Old Testament into the Gospels and into the letters of Paul and in the book of Revelation. By the way, anytime we want to formulate a doctrine, The best way to do it is to see, is it represented in the Old Testament? Is it taught by Jesus in the Gospels? Is it reinforced by Paul in the, or Paul or Peter, you know, the the apostolic letters? Is it also represented in Revelation? Now, that won't always be the case with every doctrine, but if it is, then that's a pretty strong case for a doctrine. So, in the Old Testament, uh, here are some examples that lead us to believe in the rapture. One of them is that we have this pattern that God does not judge the wicked uh, with the righteous alongside the wicked when it comes to temporal judgment. Now, uh, there are some exceptions to this, but generally God spares the, um, the righteous when he judges the wicked in temporal judgment. Now, what I mean by temporal judgment is temporal judgment is different than eternal judgment. So, you know, these are times when God judges the world, like in the flood, 
let's say Sodom and Gomorrah are, are two examples that I want to bring up right now. And here's why. Because if you look at the story of the flood, here's what happens. God is going to bring judgment upon a world that has um, turned away from him, ignored him, rejected him. And yet he spares the family of righteous Noah and his family members. And it says that in uh, it says that Noah preached for those all of those years that he was building the ark. He preached a message of repentance to the people who were who were there, and and basically everybody ignored him except for his family. But if they hadn't ignored him, they too would have been able to get onto the boat and be spared from the judgment. And so, what we see is that um, that God spared the righteous when He brought judgment upon the unrighteous. Now this is mentioned again in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 where it says God did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly. Another person of course that was involved in that was Lot's, uh, Lot who was um, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's another example. So we have this pattern with Noah and then we have the pattern with Lot. And actually in the story of Lot in the book of Genesis that is where we read this phrase where Abraham is praying for Lot to be saved out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, God, you wouldn't judge the righteous along with the wicked, would you? Right. That, and he implies that that wouldn't be fair. And so what happens with Sodom and Gomorrah is that God destroys the city, but he takes out the righteous people from Sodom before he, um, before he destroys the city. Now, if we look at Lot, we can say he wasn't a super righteous person. But again, we see this idea that God's righteousness uh, is imputed to us by faith. It is not just a matter of our own personal holiness and lack of sin, but rather trusting in God and him imputing righteousness to us. Okay, so we have those examples. Then we have an example of Jesus talking about how two will be in a field. You know, one will be caught up, the other will be left. We have Paul talking about it there. And then the, the example we have in Revelation is very interesting. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Then I was caught up to heaven. It's the same word that's used in um, 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Raptizo. And here's what's so interesting, is that if you look at chapter 1, verse 19 of Revelation, um, the revelator, John, he says that he says, uh, that this message came to him and it said, you know, write down the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. So that's an outline for the book of Revelation. It actually forms an outline. What that tells us is that these, these events fall into three categories. The first category is the things that were in the past. And what is that? Well, that's chapter one. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ, his vision of Jesus. And then he says the things which are, which is the age of the church. So that's chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And then he says, and the things that are to come. And the Greek word there that's used uh, is the word metatauta, which means after these things, the things which are to take place after these things. And chapter 4, verse 1 begins with this word, metatauta. So what that tells us is, now begins the section in which he's telling us about future events. And what does he say there? In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, let me just read it to you. Because it's particularly interesting. He says this, After this, meta tauta, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, 
and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what may, must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. What is John describing? John is describing the same thing that Paul talked about in First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. He's describing how he is experiencing in a vision, right? He's getting a preview of it. He's experiencing the rapture. And what happens when he experiences the rapture? Well, he's up in heaven with a great multitude, and they are watching the events that take place on the earth during the time of the tribulation. So these things all together are the reasons why we believe in the rapture. Because there's a principle that we see in the Old Testament. Also, you know, the time of Noah is used as an example that's compared to what the world will be like at the end of the age as well, during the time of Revelation when God brings judgment on the earth, the time which is still for us in the future. And so all those things together are the reasons why we believe in the rapture. It's not just one or two verses here and there. Okay. All righty. Can you get um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1? Mm-hmm. You could read just that one. Yep, I'm pulling it up. It says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So this is, this is what I was referring to earlier when I said that we have to understand why Paul is writing these things to the Thessalonians. And the reason is because apparently a letter or somebody had come into their, their fellowship and claimed that Jesus had already returned and that they had missed it. And so Paul's writing to encourage them and actually like convince them that Jesus has not already come back yet, that that's still in the future. Okay. Well, cool. Well, hey, um, I'll tell you one more <laughs> thing, if you don't mind hanging on, because uh, right now I don't have any callers waiting behind you, so I'm, I, I wanted to bring this up, and I wasn't sure if we'd have time, but it looks like we do. The interesting thing is that um, the Jehovah's Witnesses actually claim that Jesus returned. And I don't remember the year. It was in the early 20th century, like, oh, 1914. This is, this is the year when Jehovah's, Witness came, Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus returned to their headquarters in Brooklyn and gave them instructions. And the reason they claim this is actually, um, it's kind of sad, kind of funny. The reason they say it is because the Jehovah's Witness organization in the late 1800s, they had this leader And he kept on claiming, you know, he kept on setting dates and saying, Jesus is going to come back on this date, you know. So they were like kind of doomsday preppers. And so they were all preparing and getting ready for uh, Jesus' return. And then he didn't return on those dates. And so finally, you know, you can only do that so many times before you lose credibility. So finally, their leader said, okay, you know, this particular date in 1914, And then when, you know, the world didn't end and Jesus didn't uh, catch all the Jehovah's Witnesses up to heaven, uh, they said, well, hey, so is that another failed prophecy? And the guy said, no, 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 it's not a failed prophecy. Actually, Jesus came back and he talked to me and it's all good, right? And so this would be an important verse, an important understanding for us to understand that when Jesus comes back, it's not going to come back in secret. 
He's not going to only appear to an elite group of people. Every eye will see him, and before he comes, this man of lawlessness will be revealed. We have quite a bit uh, of things that we can know about the second coming um, based on the Bible, and so we should not be deceived, in other words. Because there's a difference between his coming and his return, right? Yeah, so you could you could put it that way, um, that we're talking about two different things, um, but they're used a little bit interchangeably. Here's, here's what the timeline looks like. There will be a rapture when we're caught up. Then there will be a tribulation on the earth. At the end of that, he will return. And that, that's often called the second coming. Okay, so the second coming and the rapture are two different events. All righty. Cool. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad that we were able to discuss that <laughs> so thoroughly. And uh, God bless you. Thanks for calling in. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, this is Pastor Nick Cady. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can send us your prayer requests via text. You can call us on the phone with your Bible questions. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you. We'd love to answer those Bible questions you have. Maybe you have any some questions about how the Bible relates to life today. We'd love to hear from you and to pray with you and answer your questions. Give us a call. The number is 303 Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Looks like we've got all open lines right now. Once again, the call in line three zero three six nine zero three thousand. We'd love to hear from you, and we can get you on quickly if you call now. We've got several text messages that have come in, so let's go ahead and go over there and answer those text messages. One person texted and said this, If people who live during the Old Testament time will be in heaven based on following the law, how come Jews in our current time who follow the law will not be in heaven? A very good question. And the answer to that question is this. Jews who lived during the Old Testament were not saved based on their following of the law. And uh, we know that for several reasons. Um, We know that uh, because... Bible tells us that no one has kept the law sufficiently enough to be saved. Um, you know, you could put it this way. How many sins does it take to make someone a sinner? And the answer would be one. And if you have sinned, then you pay the wages for sin, which is death. And so it's really important that we understand that the law, as it was given, it was never given for our salvation Rather, the law was given to show us that we have fallen short, that we cannot live up to God's good and perfect standard. Now, this is explained pretty clearly by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians chapter 3, where he says that the role of the law is to show us that we are sinners. It's also very clearly laid out in Romans chapter 7. And there's actually, you know, if you look at Romans chapters. Well, I mean, one through seven really lay this out, but particularly chapter seven and chapter four lay this out really clearly, which say that everyone in the Old Testament who was saved, there was only one way that they were saved. They were saved by casting themselves upon God's mercy and trusting in God's plan that he had promised from the beginning of the world that he was going to save the world through a man who would come and who would crush the head of Satan. And more and more, you know, that, that promise was given of that Savior who was to come. And there was a ongoing 
revelation. So there was a, an ongoing revelation where over the years God revealed more and more about who this Savior would be and what he would do. And so as the people waited, the prophets came, God spoke through the prophets and, and told them more and more things about who this Savior would be and how they would recognize him when he came. But it's a really important understanding for us that it isn't like Jesus was God's plan B, right? When he saw that, wow, I thought that, you know, I'll give these people these rules, they'll keep the rules, and then they'll be saved by keeping the rules. And then he found out that actually we're really, really bad at keeping the rules. So he said, I've got to come up with a different plan because this is not working. So Jesus was his plan B to save us. That's not at all the case. Jesus was plan A and there is no plan B. And we can see that by looking at the Genesis chapter 3 where sin comes into the world. Immediately there where sin comes into the world, God gives his promise that he is going to send a son, a man born of a woman, the seed of a woman, and he will crush the head of Satan. Though Satan will bruise his heel, he will crush Satan's head, and he will put an end to the curse of sin and death when he comes. That's the good news of the gospel, and that's what we have in Jesus. So that's pretty important. Um, now, you might say, well, how do they, how do they believe in Jesus if, they didn't, if Jesus hadn't even been born? Well, what they were doing is they were trusting in God's promise and they're trusting in God's character that one day God is going to bring a way for us to be saved. He's going to fulfill this promise to bring this person who will save us. And they didn't know all the details of how that would happen, but they trusted in it. And a good example of this, and one that, by the way, is used in the New Testament two times, in Galatians chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 4, is the example of Abraham where it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. And what Paul the Apostle says is he says, this is how it works. This is the way the Old Testament believers were saved, is that they trusted God and God imputed his righteousness to them. So they weren't saved by their own righteousness and following of the law, but by God's Righteousness given as a gift by his grace to them as they trusted in him. And that is exactly the way that we are saved. They were saved by looking forward to God's redemptive act. We're saved by looking backwards to God's redemptive act that took place through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, um, this is pretty important because it means that Jews in our current time are not saved and cannot be saved by following the law because no one has ever been saved by following the law. Paul even says that. He says, by, by works of the law, no one has ever been declared righteous. That's, that's super important. So uh, I hope that answers your question. Um, and, and I think it's really, it's a really key question and a very common misunderstanding. I think that many people assume that Jews in the Old Testament were kept by keeping the were saved by keeping the law and then God kind of changed his mind. But that is not at all the case and, and that can be seen as we look at the as we look at the Bible in detail. So thanks for that question and uh, God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. Let's go to Henry in Parker, Colorado. Hi, Henry. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Pastor. Yes. Um, okay, my question is, is in Corinthians um, 
Paul addresses uh, food off or meat offered up to idols and saying it's nothing, not to worry about because idols are nothing. But then in Revelation, um, I think um, somebody looked it up, it was 2.14, where Jesus talks about, he addresses the church, talks about their sins at the end. And one of the sins he mentions really quickly is he says, and you ate food offered up to idols. Um, how, do, how does that work out? Yeah, so just looking at, that's a good question, a good catch, by the way. Here, let me just give a little bit of context. The issue, one of the issues in the early church was that, um, you know, the best meat that was available at the market had oftentimes been sacrificed to pagan idols. And there was a debate amongst Christians as to whether you could eat this meat or whether you could not, because it was usually the best meat and it was usually sold at a discount. So cheap meat that's better. And, or you're buying more expensive meat um, that's not as good because of conviction. And they would have debates over this, and Paul said, hey, you know what, um, this, this is really a matter of conscience. You can, you can eat it if you really believe that there's nothing in it, because truly there's nothing in it that's not like it carries some kind of spiritual force or power. But he said, on the other hand, if this is a, a conscience issue for you and you believe it's wrong, then it would actually be wrong for you to do it because you would be going against your conscience and God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to live uh, on, in these gray areas under your conscience and, and as an act of worship to him. And so um, Paul also discusses this, by the way, in Romans chapter 14. And there in Romans 14, Paul says, you know, if eating meat sacrificed to idols causes my brother to stumble, I will, I'm willing to never eat any meat ever again for the rest of my life, right? He's not saying it's wrong. He's just saying that uh, it would be wrong to do it if it stumbles a person. Now, that's what brings us to Revelation chapter 2, um, because here is what it says. I'll just start at the beginning, because this is in the seven letters to the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation, and this is to the church in Pergamum. So it starts in chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, so it's Jesus, I know where you dwell, you dwell where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Verse 14, this is the one in question. But I have a few things against you. You have come... You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. The issue here is one of stumbling other people, which then causes them to sin. That's really what the issue is. And Paul, that, that's totally congruent, right? That's still in line with what Paul talks about in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians where he says, do not put a stumbling block in front of your brother, right? This would be akin to, let's say, somebody has, uh, you, you know, you might say, it's not a sin to drink alcohol in moderation. What is a sin, according to the Bible, is to be drunk or to lose control of yourself to a substance, whether that's alcohol or a different substance. Now, you might say, okay, I know that I have that freedom, but here's somebody else and so by me encouraging them, oh, hey, you know, you have freedom in Christ to do this, you could be putting a stumbling block in front of them. Maybe it's an issue of conscience. Maybe they struggle with addiction. And because of you stumbling them, it leads them into sin. That is the idea here. 
It's that this is what Balaam did to the children of Israel. You know, the story of Balaam is Balaam tried to curse the people of Israel and God would not let him. But here's what's so interesting. Balaam realized that he could not curse the people of Israel. So what did he do? He put a stumbling block in front of them, which in that case was to have these foreign women come and seduce them. Now, nobody forced them to go and sleep with these foreign women, but they did it. But he put the temptation there in front of them. That was the sin of Balaam. He knew that by putting this temptation in front of them, by going after their weaknesses, he couldn't twist their arm and make them sin, but he was putting the temptation in front of them, which would cause them to fall. And that is the issue there that Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have not loved your brothers and sisters in the church because you, you've been so concerned with your own liberty in Christ that you have actually caused others to stumble. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Okay, Pastor, while I have you on the line, could I request prayer? I didn't. Uh, I didn't say I was going to earlier, but I'd like to. Quickly, now. I've got quickly. I've got two other colors. So tell me what we can pray for, and what we'll do. Um, pray for my uh, right leg. Uh, I've got a, a, a bruise there that seems to be taking too long to heal, and it hurts a lot. And um, right now, my jaw seems to be bothering me too. Um, I'm working tomorrow, so it'd be great if they if they stopped hurting by then. Yeah, let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we lift up Henry to you. We pray that you would touch his right leg. Lord, we pray for his jaw. Lord, we pray that you would, by your grace, Lord, um, just out of kindness, we ask that you would heal these things and give him relief so that he can be comfortable and able to do his job. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Henry. Bye-bye. Let's go to Christopher in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Christopher. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thanks for taking the call. Hey, my, my question is, um, it seems like Satan was, you know, behind or pushing Jesus towards the cross. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but um, does the Bible tell us whether Satan was was pushing Jesus towards the cross? Because it doesn't make sense that he would, because if he knew what the act of Jesus dying on the cross did for us, you would think Satan would have said, stop him from being crucified. Right. I'm wondering if, if Satan didn't understand the prophecy of what Jesus was coming to do or didn't understand what was going on, or, or maybe he wasn't pushing for crucifixion at all. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think it's, not to my knowledge, is never directly said uh, in the Bible, right, that Satan was, you know, behind this and pushing it forward. But, um, you know, we have three great enemies, right, Satan, uh, the flesh, and the world. So we have the world, uh, we have our own flesh, and then there's Satan that, that lead us away from, from the Lord and what he wants. And we can see that at least the world system and the flesh were at work if Satan was not. And I'll tell you my favorite verse when it comes to making sense of this. On the one hand, of course, let's not forget that in the Gospel of Luke, it says that after Peter's great profession of faith at Caesarea Philippi, right where he says, who do you say I am, Jesus asked. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It says right after that, Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And he told his disciples, I'm going there. I'm going to be crucified by the chief priests. I'm going to be badly treated. I'll be crucified. I'll be killed. But on the third day, I'll rise again. And Peter says to him, you know, Jesus, stop this talk about getting killed. You're the king. There's no way you can get killed. You're the Messiah. And Jesus, of course, at that time says, get behind me, Satan. So 
here's an interesting thought. It seems that if that was inspired by Satan, actually the work of Satan was to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Have you, that would yeah. be his goal. Yeah. Right, right. So I would say that Satan's very much aware of the prophecies. Now, at the other hand, here's Satan trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. We can see that then in the garden. You know, there's so much fear. We see that with inspiring perhaps Peter to cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. You know, all these things which could have perhaps prevented Jesus from going to the cross. The temptation to literally just walk out of the Garden of Gethsemane while he's still a free man. And yet Jesus overcomes those temptations. On the other hand, we can say that it seems that uh, the flesh and the world were at work within those who were pushing for his crucifixion, meaning the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders. And, and again, I said I wanted to tell you this verse. This is one of my favorites. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And here's what it says. This is Peter, by the way, preaching on the day of Pentecost. And here's what he says. He says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of and foreknowledge of God, and you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. You see the dichotomy there? There's, there's the act of lawless men who are responsible for crucifying and killing Jesus, and there's, it was all done according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. So you see those two things at work, and you see God in his incredible providence working it all together. It's amazing. I have to let you go. We've reached the end of our show. God bless you. Thank you for calling in with your question. And thank you for all of you who listened today. And uh, I will be with you again next Friday. But you can tune in to Calvary Live every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Hope you have a great evening. Check us out online. My church is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.